Hello, welcome to the Jew3 Project Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew3 Project. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jude 3 Project. And today I'm joined by a very special guest, Dr. Bree Parker. Welcome, Dr. Parker. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> thank you for being here. We had some technical difficulties uh, before we started, but in the words of one of my friends, it's more than one way to skin a cat. So, um, uh, <laughs> That's, I think that's the country is uh, saying I've ever heard. Oh, but, uh, well, I'm from the South. I have much better. <laughs> I'm much better. So um, I'm glad we got it all worked out. We could have this conversation. Um, for those who don't know who you are, could you introduce yourself to our audience? Sure, the best I can. Um, I, I can. I'm Brianna Parker. I'm the founding curator of the Black Millennial Cafe. Um, and the Black Millennial Cafe is it. A resource um, used to enhance and um, train and consult with organizations and institutions who are looking to um, engage millennials in a healthy way um, based on the research I've done um, during my doctoral studies. That's dope. Um, and you have a, uh, a article that kind of went viral um, yeah, I was feeling pretty good about that. So much so, it's probably paralyzed me maybe from my next in a little bit. Um, I probably, I'm probably three-fourths of the way through two other articles, but, you know, The Fugitive has done really well, and so I've kind of, you know, given it time to make its rounds. So, um, definitely, if you're listening, go check that out. I'll put a link to that article um, on this episode, so those who are listening can can read it after we're we're done talking but um read it share comment everything go ahead <laughs> you said can you hear me i can hear you uh-huh. okay yeah what was the inspiration for that article um so i spent time um doing doctoral research on black millennials and faith um in my program and when i did it i did more than 1000 i had one more, more than 1032 um surveys um and a host of small groups and four in-depth interviews. And so one of my interviews revealed something that I thought was most exciting, most unique. Um, probably not unique in that other people haven't experienced it, but unique in, um, you know, conversation. You know, most people aren't talking about this group of people. And so I was just really a little enamored, you know. And I just spent time thinking about this story, thinking about the story and thinking about because I'm actually going to write a book um, on my doctoral research. And I'm thinking this has to be the first book. But then I didn't want to hold it that long because I thought it's information that people should know and especially institutions and, you know, churches and the black church. And it's just something I didn't want to hold that long. And so I met this young girl who grew up in church. You know, her family were all like church people, like heavy into church. And, you know, somewhere in the midst of our interview, when she told me like she never believed it, it was just kind of like, say what, say huh? Um, <laughs> you know, and and then to hear that she was so active, you know, um, I mean, you know, she followed all the rules of church. You know, she said all her Easter speeches, you know, she went to a youth church. She was actively involved. And 
you know, she was a never, she was never a believer. And I was a youth pastor in South Pasadena when I was in seminary. Um, and I must be honest, I was not the best youth, best youth pastor. That was not my calling. Um, <laughs> but I gave it everything I had. But um, as a um, associate pastor on staff at a church and someone who feels called to, um, you know, the senior pastor position in ministry, I was a little heartbroken after I really thought it through to think that someone could be in your midst um, that long at that level of engagement and you really miss them. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's so, I, I really loved how you, um, described it as the fugitive. Um, because the, it's like, sometimes we're trying to recapture people mm-hmm. who were never apart in the, to begin with. Right. Um, right. And they, and they didn't want to like, be apart. Why did you name the fugitive? Why not refugee? Why not? And everybody had, I'm like, because they're still being hunted. You know, mm-hmm. every church you walk into, we need the young people, you know, we're looking for young adults. So, you know, we need the next generation. I mean, they don't really want to let us lead or like, you know, you know, I, I just, you know, the black church, you know, you're young until you're not, you know, and <laughs> young forever. And I, I always have a problem with that, that, you know, the, the black church is always calling for younger people to get involved, but they hold us at this level of participation that does not allow us to like use our gifts in a way um, that's going to be most productive. And they don't really inventory our gifts because they still think of us as children, but I don't understand because they've always been open to tithe and offering and I've never been too young to give. Um, I've never been too, too young to um, support the church financially, but in many cases, even today, you know, you're too young under 40 and sometimes a little over 40 uh, to really lead or for them to really take you seriously. And so, you know, you're still being hunted today. And so walk into any church, you know, they still talk about how to get young adults or, you know, any organization. Everyone's trying to capture millennials these days, even Tic Tac. You know, they made a Tic Tac that changes um, flavors in your mouth because they said millennials um, don't like doing the same thing for an extended period of time. So oh. everyone is hunting millennials. So I thought it was most appropriate to uh, title it The Fugitive. Mm-hmm. And I really um, like how you explained that millennials are having church but just not church. Um, like we would think of church, they have church over um, brunch um, at the gym. Yeah. All of that. They're having theological conversations. They're just not having having them at a, a black church or a sanctuary, what we would consider traditional church. Right, right. It's, it's happening, you know, over mimosas. Um, and so, you know, my thing is the black church really has to decide um, and not only the black church, but, you know, that's I did my work to make sure I could do my best um, to give the black church first um, new resources um, that would impact the church in a positive way. And so, you know, the black church really has to decide if they're going to be OK with us worshiping somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You know, because we don't have to go to so-and-so, so-and-so, Missionary Baptist Church, Church of God, AME, uh, United Methodist, uh, First Holiness. You know, we don't have to do that. We can do that on a rooftop. And so the black church really has to make a decision as to how much work um, we're going to be willing to put in, how open we're going to be to new things and how relevant we want to be. You know, if if you're going to give, continue to give millennials um, the it's our way or the highway speech, we're going to take the highway for 500, Alex. <laughs> you know, and so the black church really has the time. It's really time for us to make a decision about who we're going to be and how we're going to move forward. Mm-hmm. How do you think um, 
we can better engage millennials. Um, recently, we, with the G3 Project, we rented out a local lounge mm -hmm. and we had a discussion called, is Christianity, um, do Black Lives Matter to Jesus? Mm -hmm. And we had a panel and it was kind of, the thought was kind of, as you explained, like the out the box kind of thinking to engage people that may have one time been to church um, and those who have never been to church, but to engage them in a place where they may feel a little bit more comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, what are ways and, and strategies that you think would help better serve millennials? Well, first, I don't know about strategies because it all depends. You know, I'm I'm becoming a researcher. And so um, the more I do this, the more I realize, you know, there's no one size that fits all because some people are working um, in rural areas, you know. And so mm -hmm. one thing I think is important to do is not, um, you know, just like make like think things up, you know, mm -hmm. to actually do the work, survey your area, see what millennials want. Millennials have no problem speaking when asked. Mm -hmm. um, um, and so really just sit down and ask the real questions. Um, but honesty and transparency are going to be most important, I believe. Um, I always try to talk to churches and remind them that millennials are, um, we have everything at our fingertips. You mm -hmm. know, when you are preaching to us, we can Google and be like, that's a lie. Now, our Google, you know, source might be wrong, but we have the ability to, you know, research things immediately. And so if we have to sit at church and we have no answers, no real plan, no real strategies, you know, that is that's not really comfortable for millennials. And so I think the greatest place to start if you're going to engage millennials is from a place of honesty um, and transparency and to allow um, millennials to have a voice like we do speak. You know, mm -hmm. use. Um, but give us an opportunity to tell you. And unfortunately, this is what I've learned. Um, many times black churches talk to millennials um, who are in the church and grew up in the church and never left the church um, to see what um, non-church millennials want. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's the worst thing you can ever do. Mm -hmm. um, because we we only know how to talk church to you. I mean, not all of us, but it's really hard if you think about it to grow up in the church and then give the church out of the box information. Mm -hmm. I think we know the rules of the church, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so the best thing you can do is ask and ask people outside of your four walls. Because, mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, sometimes we have some Stepford millennials, you know, Stepford mm -hmm. Christian millennials, and we know exactly what you want to hear. And so you say, is this a good idea to have cake and punch for you all after church? And we're like, yeah, that's that's real good. No, it's not good. Do not bring <laughs> us this Walmart, um, you know, cake, you know, sheet cake uh, with welcome young adult. You know what I mean? So I think mm -hmm. it's important that we really the best place to start would be to talk to millennials who are not in church. And as far as strategy, like specifics, like I think this works best. I think that really depends every time on the church. So every time I consult with the church, I'm trying to get the most information about who they are. Oftentimes you'll find they don't always know initially. Um, mm -hmm. so they have some work to do, but it's really going to depend. So don't look at what another church is doing and say, oh, that's going to be great for us because there are some churches who are in college towns and they have like three colleges near them. So what mm -hmm. they do and their access to millennials is going to be very different than a church um, set in the middle of downtown. Mm -hmm. and who they want to meet because they're going to look to meet um, young black professionals. But if you're in a city that's lacking young black professionals, then 
you know, that's not going to work the same for you. So if you're in um, North Carolina, I'm looking for um, young black professionals and your church is situated downtown and you're going to do a noonday Bible study where they can eat there and it's done in an hour. That makes sense. That's going to be great. But if you're in Phoenix looking for young black professionals where the last time I remember looking, Phoenix was 3% black, Mm -hmm. that's not going to work the same. Because mm-hmm. it's going to be hard-pressed to find, a, you know, a concentrated area. And so really just figure out where you are and what you have access to and what your resources are. Wow, I think a long way of answering that. No, I think those are really good points. It, and um, one of the things that you brought up that I think is very key is knowing the difference between a millennial that's uh, grown up in the church and kind of been indoctrinated in church mm-hmm. talk and when they're around their friends, they're like very churchy. Yeah. Uh, especially, I come from a a non-denominational Pentecostal background, okay. and a lot of my friends are Pentecostal and Kojic. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's this churchy lingo that goes along if you've come up in that. Yeah. That is completely disconnected from your regular average millennial. Absolutely. They have no idea how to communicate at all. Right. Like like day and night. So right. to go to them and say, how do you reach millennials, it's going to be a really big disconnect. You might as well ask the elderly person in the church. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, Um, and I had to learn to do that. I had to learn how to get get outside of my, um, my, the easiest or most convenient context, you know, because of course we live in many different worlds, whether we realize it or not. Um, But it took some time for me to realize how to do that, how to stay in touch and how to know what the real world is thinking. Um, and, you know, not just stay inside of your church because it's easy to do and it's comfortable as difficult as it can be to be mm-hmm. in the black church. It's still comfortable. Um, mm-hmm. It's still something, you know. And so, you know, I remember um, there was one month we were trying to do a um, youth, young adult and children's month. And we called in, uh, you know, the young adults and said, you know, what would you like service to look like? And like, we want it exciting. We wanted this. We wanted that. You know, like, okay, we can give you that. So what should go first? Prayer. Okay. What should go next? Scripture. Okay. What should go next? Announcement. Huh? <laughs> like, is this not what we're doing? Well, you have to have scripture. And I would say, why do you have to have scripture? Well, because, you know, you need scripture in church. Okay, let's go with that. Not a great answer, but let's go. You know, why do you have to have prayer? Well, because you want to open up, you know, the service. You want to ask, okay, we can take that. Why do you need announcements? So, okay, if you have to have all of these things, why is it still in the order it's always been in? And why does it still look like this? You know, like if you can, if scripture is important, why can't you have a live artist, you know, when you're doing it or whatever the scripture that the sermon, that the preacher is going to use for the sermon? Like, why isn't a live artist? You know what I mean? Like painting this at the same time so that they're giving their interpretation of scripture um, while the preacher's preaching. And you can see how they're combined or what the um, the artist is hearing while the preacher is preaching. Like, why can't scripture look like that? You know, like just different things. And church kids have a hard time with that. They just mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. They just, yeah. too, you know, every now and then I just like, you know, hope the plug walks in and, you know, somebody who is like totally unchurched and doesn't know how to speak church lingo, doesn't know when to bow, when to close their eyes, when to stand, when to sit, because that's how you get like the raw, you know, um, resource, you know, that's like the diamond and not in the rough because the diamond is a diamond wherever they are. Um, mm-hmm. but it's just like that, that's, that's a treasure when, when someone like that walks in and we have to restrain from creating step step for Christians mm-hmm. um, and losing that person as a resource. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's uh, 
That's phenomenal. Um, one of the things that uh, we've been dealing with here and a lot of um, pastors have been um, messaging us about um, and is um, this whole idea of Christianity being the white man's religion. Mm-hmm. And um, that's really, really something that's really big, especially in the cultural climate. Um, and so black Hebrew Israelites in a lot of urban um, centers is really big. Um, Egyptology commits. How is it in Dallas? Um, where in Dallas is is a relationship to millennials and this concept of Christianity being the white man's religion? And how do you navigate through that? Um, being um, someone who engages um, millennials at Friendship West. So you want me to speak negatively about my own city and have them like egg in my house? <laughs> Um, here's the thing, um, you know, it's, this is a Bible belt. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you're not getting that as a complaint very much, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they accept religion the way it is. I mean, I mean, let me just be honest. If first Baptist, uh, Dallas, where Jeffries is the pastor. And if you want to go Google him, Google him. Um, if he can find black millennials to do a commercial for his church, Lord Jesus, I don't know what's happening in this world. Um, you know, because for him, we probably still under the curse. You know, black people are probably still under the curse. And, you know, you know, we're probably going to church still. It feels like like he's teaching. Like like teaching blacks are almost like teaching slaves. Like, you know, you're doing some kind of charity for us. And the fact that there are still young black millennials who attend his church who are asking no questions who are not at all offended is just, it just says a lot. Um, and I'm sure you can find them in any city, but um, Dallas is not really um, yelling for more. You know, we're not demanding a whole lot more. Um, we believe church the way it's always been and the same, um, you know, same things we learned in Sunday school. We're still accepting is true, wholly true. Not that they aren't somewhat true. Um, and so to work at Friendship West is uh, an extreme blessing. Um, because I don't know where I would be going to church and no shade to other churches, but I know what I need. Um, and I need to see myself, um, in, in the text, you know what I mean? Like I need to see myself in the God I serve. And so I don't think many, um, Southerners are thinking that way and especially not in Dallas. And so to be at Friendship West and to worship there and, um, to be able to see myself in the God I serve, to see myself, um, in the text to see myself as amazing and valuable um, and not just as a believer, but as a black woman, a black young woman and to see my value time and time again, you know, whatever ministry, whatever it is and Bible said like that matters to me. Um, And so unfortunately a lot of people are not demanding that, but if there's a demand, at least there's a source and the source is definitely friendship West. Now there are a lot of amazing churches, but are they really highlighting um, the racial and well, the ethnic truths about the Bible? I would have to say no. Mm -hmm. I would have to say no, but there's also, I mean, we do have, of course, blacks who are very conscious, but many of them are not going to the church to be empowered um, or to be able to um, partner. You know, they don't believe, I don't know that they believe Christianity um, is a great partner with the 
conscious truth that they believe. Unfortunately. Got you. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I would have thought that because, you know, I'm in Jacksonville, Florida, and okay. it's still okay. very much the Bible Belt. The The further north Florida you go, the further south you go. Mm -hmm. uh, Jacksonville is like a big country town. Okay. And okay. there's like a, a whole group of black Hebrew Israelites that are like taking, like really uh, gaining a lot of ground in our downtown area. Okay. Um, okay. So I would have. I would, I asked the question because I was thinking, I was assuming that Jacksonville and I was like, Dallas is way more progressed than Jacksonville. Mm -mm -mm. Um, but that's so interesting. Mm -mm. Um, no, and you see pockets, you know, you meet people that they're real strong, real strong um, presence and demand for more. No. No. Mm -hmm. no. And it's funny because even some of the protests who are Christian, they're okay. They're like, you know, they're protesting and they're very conscious and they're like, yes, this is what we need, you know, from our, for our communities and from the government. And then they're like, now I have to go to church and they divorce the two. Mm -hmm. They don't see them as any, uh, any kind of relationship between the two. No. Um, yeah. Well, I see that here too, where the disconnect um, is there many a times. Um, for those who are listening and say, Brie, what question, what, uh, Dr. Parker, what questions should I be Bree is fine. asking, um, asking millennials? Um, what, what, uh, questions would you, what open-ended questions would you recommend they ask? Mm, probably, um, something about, um, what you need based on where you are. Um, <laughs> We make these assumptions, you know, even our ministries, you know, um, just take singles ministry. When people go mm -hmm. to singles, most churches are convinced they need to tell you about sex. And let me mm -hmm. be honest, when I want to talk about sex, I don't go to church. <laughs> That's not where I try to have that conversation. And if they are having a conversation about sex in church, I'm going to assume it's not going to be the most transparent one. And so, you know to make the assumptions that, okay, single people need to hear about sex as single people, what they're concerned with, because a black single woman today might tell you she's concerned with what, um, what if, uh, an advanced degree is doing to her social life or what that will mean for marriage or dating or, you know, ev you know, hopes of marriage or what, what that looks like for family. And so there are other questions that we're asking, you know, that don't look like the norm. And so ask the, ask the questions, where are you? What do you need right now? What do you need from us? What do you need to see most? Because my research did show um, that there need to be a lot of there needs to be a lot of conversations um, around uh, financial stability, financial literacy. Um, yes, millennials are the most degree generation we've seen, but the most indebted as well. Um, and mm -hmm. so, you know, to really ask where you are, because many of the church kids that have walked away, um, they do know what they need. And they might not be in church today because they're getting that somewhere else or something else takes priority. And mm -hmm. to know what they need and to know what you can offer them and stop just shooting in the dark, you know? Stop assuming, you know, that um, millennials are looking for something that they're just not looking for. 
um, mm -hmm. and ask a question, you know, where are you in your life and what do you need right now? And you can probably develop um, ministries that will be much more um, effective if you actually do that and stop just thinking what the ministries that were necessary 30 years ago are still the ministries you need now. I think that's that's a great, um, those are some great questions um, because we definitely assume, especially when you're talking about the singles uh, ministry and the disconnect for a lot of African-American women. I think it was uh, Dr. Candice, I can't think of her last name, but she just wrote an article on her blog um, disconnect um, between church and how they address singles mm -hmm. um, and black women in the church and this assumption and not addressing how, you know, mass incarceration has impacted black women um, and the their ability. Family. You know, yeah. I don't know how we're still having this focus on the family conversations the way we always have, you know, mm -hmm. um, millennials are, you know, I mean, if you look at black and brown millennials in prison, I mean, we are taken over and that's not a great thing it's like they can almost um have a welcome you know goodie bag for us waiting for us at the prison doors and that's not mm -hmm. unintentional and then mm -hmm. we hold these um very um all this guilt and shame about coming from what have been dubbed what's been dubbed as um broken families and you know, you're like, no, this isn't broken. Broken says that first I have, I have a problem with the broken, but this is not accidental. This is intentional. This is systemic, you know? And so mm. we're holding shame for things that have been created because not only is there a clear path for you to get to prison, when you come out, there's a clear path to keep you away from your family. Um, you know, mm. like there are systems. And so, you know, the, the, the church isn't thinking, and this is one thing that I want the church to know. If you don't have some type of um, program for returning citizens, you won't have a church. Mm -hmm. for, for us to have such high numbers of incarceration and churches think that when we come out of prison in 10 to 20 years, um, that they're going to be able to treat us as if nothing has happened and there's not going to be work to do with families and there's not going to be um, employment needs and um, psychological needs and um, just re real re rehabilitation and that they can just go on and treat us like any other family and any other um, parishioner and that there are not going to be specific needs that are going to be detrimental to the legacy and the life of the church. They're kidding themselves. Mm -hmm. we, we are really kidding ourselves. And so, um, I think it's going to be most important for us to really assess those ministries that we have. If you don't have a ministry for returning citizens, that's a problem. If you don't have a ministry um, that addresses um, financial literacy, that's a problem. If you don't have um, a ministry that's really going to address psychological concerns, that's a problem. Um, you know, health concerns, that's a problem. Um, and mm -hmm. so it's good to have a choir, but you're going to have a choir no matter what. That's not mm -hmm. You know, that you need to be trying to assess, do we need four or do we need one? I promise you, just figure that real quick and move on because there are real needs and, you know, happening in this world right now. And the church has normally been the institution to address them. And if the church stops um, and no longer wants to fulfill that role, then they need to know that they're making a decision um, that will cut short, you know, that will make sure the life of the church is cut short. And then there will be very little legacy of the black church. Mm -hmm. I think that's definitely helpful because as you were saying, uh, um, we have to have programs that benefit and are 
assets to our community. And that's what millennials look for um, when they look at churches. Uh, is this church having an impact or is this church mm -hmm. just having a service? Right. And so I think that's important. Um, what would be your final words you would want to leave with our audience? And how can they get in contact with you? Hmm, I feel so powerful. Final words. I don't know if this is more like Sally Jesse Raphael or like Jerry Springer, you know? Or <laughs> <laughs> you're leaving with something amazing. Um, so I can add this with my contact and hopefully not be self-promoting. Um, it is important that the black church look at research about black millennials to make changes in their church. I do realize there are research organizations who are pumping out uh, research and books that are gonna tell you how to change your life uh, and bring millennials in in 17 steps. But those are usually, um, that's usually research that's been done on white evangelicals. And so the black church has oftentimes wasted resources um, on research that does not benefit the black church. I'm not the only black researcher who's um, researched black millennials of faith and faith. I'm the only one I know of um, that's done it in this manner. But there are other people who are doing the work um, to try to figure this out and help you out. So reach out. I know we would rather pay big research institutions um, for their book. But it's going to be most important that we do spend time with consultants who have done this work, that we do spend time training for what's coming and what, you know, what we're facing because the black church is at stake. And one, the one thing here it is that I want people to know who are listening. My research showed black millennials still have hope in the black church, even if they're not there. They just want to see the black church at its best. And so if they can see the black church at her best, doing her best work, um, not just taking photo ops with the community, but transforming the community, that's going to be your first big step um, in making a change and creating an environment that's going to be, that's going to healthy, that's going to lead to healthy engagement with millennials that leads to a very positive, um, powerful legacy you know, that we can be proud of. And so it's going to be important that we are serious about engaging black millennials and that we don't do it so that we have a notch on our belt and we don't do it so that there are numbers um, that we can brag about or so that there are people in the pews and no holes uh, for the cameras, but that we do it because we believe in millennials and we believe in the black church and we believe in, you know, what God has called us to. And we really believe we're partnering well with uh, millennials to get there. And so I'm really hoping that people take seriously, yes, my work, but others who are working um, to give you answers and solutions um, and do some things by trial and error to get us where we need to be. If you do not have millennials, you do not have a black church in a couple decades, simply put. Mm -hmm. And so um, we need to take that seriously. Um, how do you reach me? You can reach me on social media at REV underscore BRI. So I'm REV underscore BRI on Twitter. I'm REV underscore BRI on Instagram, on Snapchat. I think I'm REVBRI1. Don't worry about Snapchat. Um, <laughs> you can find me 
um, Brianna Parker on Facebook. But above all those things, go ahead and look up um, and subscribe to the Black Millennial Cafe. So that's blackmillennialcafe.com. You can find the Black Millennial Cafe on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And so I'm here and I want to be a resource. Let me make this very clear. I am a consultant. I do get paid. But I am going to um, always release more information so that I am a legitimate resource for institutions and churches who engage black millennials. And so if you do not hire me, I still hope that um, the Black Millennial Cafe has something to offer you that is making your situation a little better with every article and every uh, statistic that's released and, you know, every kind of little, you know, tip that we give for the black church. And so I'm hoping we're making that better. So look us up and subscribe and just stay in touch. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Parker. This has been a great conversation, and um, I think our listeners will be um, helped by it. Well, amen, and thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I'm honored, and, you know, just for you to think enough of me to sit down and have a conversation means everything to me, and, you know, I wish God's greatest blessings on the Jude 3 Project. Awesome. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. You can catch all our past episodes at www.jude3project.com backslash podcast. You can follow us on iTunes by searching Jude 3 Project. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at Jude 3 Project, on Instagram at Jude 3 Project, and on Facebook at facebook.com. Um, backslash Jude 3 project and remember you can donate on our site so if this um, this podcast and this ministry is a blessing to you help support us financially um, by going on our website at Jude3project.com and hitting the donate tab um, and donating consider donating to us thank you so much remember at the Jude 3 project we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it